credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitruvian Podcast, a podcast centered around self-mastery. I'm your host, Zach Shankin. Today, I'm going to be talking about a subject that is likely a sensitive one for a lot of people, but is one that needs to be talked about nonetheless. Uh, I'll be trying to spend most of the time sharing through my specific story, shedding light to my journey, as you know through the title, with alcohol, and now not clickbait, being fully sober, why I had made the transition from sober to drinking and have decided to now go back. And before I start with the story of the first night that I ever drank alcohol, I do want to ask that you subscribe onto the YouTube channel. I've released, by the time this podcast is out, two behind-the-scenes vlogs of what's going on in my life, building the podcast, the program, everything that's going on. I've received a lot of good feedback on those. Reserve your judgment for editing and recording skills for now. It's something that I'm iterating on and trying to improve on, but I'm really enjoying that format, sharing a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes and documenting the process of building something really special here. I go into more on why I'm doing that in those episodes, so I'll just leave that there. But obviously, you're listening to this, whether it is on YouTube or Spotify or Apple or or wherever you get your podcast, but that's the call to action, it would mean the world to me if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, excited about what's going to come in the new year, continue to create more content, share more of my story, and share along in this journey together. So subscribe, but without further ado, I'll take you back a number of years now to the summer between my second year at university and third year. I was on a study abroad program and we had just touched down in our first city. We landed in Paris. Uh, the group of 50 or so of us in our travel group were all unpacking our bags, getting packed into the hotel room. For those not so familiar with the layout of Paris, essentially the city itself is concentric rings and the, the dead center of Paris, like Eiffel Tower kind of area is the center point or center city and then there's concentric kind of neighborhood rings further out and what we didn't know at the time was our hotel that the program was having us in for those five days or so that we were in paris was actually at like the 16th like the outermost ring of paris so um not the nicest area they get kind of progressively more sketchy as you go out but I digress. So we're all super excited. It was actually my first time in Europe. And as is par for college age students in any city, but certainly on a study abroad, after everyone got their bags set, the first evening um, was taking off like any other. And we were all kind of hitting the group chats, like which room do we go to to start pre-gaming? Now, I personally had not drank alcohol like I alluded to before, before at all. But I had been in the American university setting and on top of that fraternity life for my first two years of university. So I was no stranger to the format of a pregame or drinking, going out. And it was something that I did with my friends regardless. It wasn't an altogether foreign concept to me. And it was the night was starting no differently than any other. And I honestly hadn't thought about 
it in any other different way other than we're in a new city, super excited to see Paris, go out, hang out with friends, etc. So we kind of cram all into one one hotel room. Everybody, we're playing music on a little Bluetooth speaker. People are passing around a bottle of, of I think, vodka. There were beers. And then, of course, in Paris, people had a bottle of wine as well. And the couple of friends that I had gone in this program that knew me before, you know, obviously weren't offering me drinks because they knew that I was sober. And so I was just sitting on the edge of the bed, kind of hanging out, uh, playing card games, whatever. But for whatever reason, I, for the first time ever, was actually intrinsically, meaning like I personally was curious, not peer pressure, not being forced to, but I was, I was genuinely like, I'll actually try. Can you hand me that bottle of wine? And obviously their reaction was like, what? I remember my friend, uh, we'll call him Peter to not dox his name, but he was like so excited because obviously people who drink want you to drink with them to have fun as friends. And it's not like a malintent kind of thing. And we'll get into peer pressure and why people want you to drink with them later in this podcast. But they were super excited, obviously me taking my first drinks, whatever. And I have to say it was altogether, the story isn't going to any sort of wild end. I didn't black out in a Parisian alley. I didn't vomit all over the streets. It really was just a pretty normal evening for anyone who has had their first drink and not really hurt themselves with it. You know, the first time you feel drunk, you're not even really sure what's going on. Obviously, you're kind of feeling out what that feels like for the first time, but it honestly was like a solid night. We pre-gamed there at the hotel, finished the bottle of wine, went out, kind of just went bar hopping for the evening and then came back to the hotel and it was nothing different. And then, so that summer was kind of my first foray into drinking in general. And I continued to do so semi-regularly during my time in college from that point on through essentially graduation. But before I go into more of that, I think it's helpful to understand the context and why I was sober before that and had made it, which is for better or for worse, a surprising fact till the age of 20 years old with having never had a sip of alcohol in my life. So I was raised in a home that alcohol wasn't present. My parents don't drink, didn't drink. So it wasn't like particularly around. And so I didn't grow up with it inside of the house. And then into high school, obviously kids start drinking on their own time, whether they do drink at home with their families or, you know, have to steal liquor and drink in the basement. I don't know what your particular story is, but it's the same stuff you see in TV if you're an international student on American culture, like our drinking age is older. So kids have to quote unquote illegally drink when they're young. And those parties did go on in high school. I'm fortunate in many ways that my parents were very laissez-faire in the way that they raised us, meaning they were very like hands-on, live and let live. They would simply kind of just present ideas to us and trusted our judgment as me and my brothers to kind of make the right decision. And I remember alcohol and drugs were like framed basically saying like, if you choose to drink and do drugs, this is typically what happens to people, obviously heavily coloring that as like, you're going to fuck your life up. You're going to end up not very far in life, quote unquote, you know, this is what dumb people do. Right. And then if you 
choose to not drink, here are the other outcomes you're likely to get. And obviously these were positively colored. And so as a insecure, but also very arrogant and intellectually identifying young kid, as I've talked about before, like I clung to being the smart kid when I was young to protect against all my other insecurities. And so for a long time, like in high school specifically, like I wouldn't hang out with the kids that drank because I thought I was better than them or like they're the idiot kids or like they're the bad kids that aren't going anywhere. You know, I'm smart. I'm going to, I have this big future ahead of me. I'm not going to go drink. I now have come around, of course, to a lot less of a judgmental perspective. A lot of that being the fact that, you know, you only judge others to the degree you're judging yourself. And again, I had so much insecurity when I was young that was unaddressed that unconsciously all my judgment towards them was of course a reflection on how insecure I was but that to say I was pretty staunchly against it in high school and then coming into college obviously my mind was continuing to expand a bit I was it was more broadened and I was probably reaching more of this the opinion or perspective where it was like do what you want I don't judge it I just don't want to do it and I knew I made the decision especially coming into university and then on top of that rushing a fraternity and pledging a fraternity that one, I didn't want to be forced to consume alcohol. So I was very verbal about it during the rushing process, which is like when you're scouting out or seeking out membership in different fraternities, I would share that when I was walking around like, Hey, I am sober and I don't intend to drink. Is that common here? Would that be okay here? And obviously the reaction of the X, Y, and Z fraternity person that I was talking to indicated pretty well to me whether or not that was a thing or they'd be like, oh, that's interesting. You know, no one's going to say outright like, hey, that's not going to fly. But the house that I eventually ended up joining was definitely the most accepting, even as an outsider, you know, they quickly brought me to other older brothers in the house that were also sober. And so being able to see that people were also doing it too was really inviting and also something I didn't necessarily expect from Greek life in general, just because my opinions were colored like most people from media, movies, etc. And neither of my parents were very Greek in their university time. They didn't join fraternity sorority life and they were always kind of very, I guess, judgy towards the community or idea because you're, if you're not an insider, you really don't know or can't understand. So I was going into college wanting to be sober, and I specifically remember never wanting to be dependent on alcohol to be social or to be uh, confident or to be really just comfortable in your own skin. And granted, I had plenty of internal insecurities that I was working on, but I can't tell you the amount of times I heard throughout my time at university and even beyond that. Still to this day, if you go out socializing with people, I'm t the phrase from whether it's guys or girls, I'm too sober to be here. Or like when you're hanging out with your guy friends and the evening's starting and maybe it's a date night and they're, you're waiting for the girls to come over and they're like, all right, let's loosen up. Let's take some shots to do X, Y, and Z. Like I know for a fact that is a very common and you're probably thinking you've heard something similar. And I always thought, especially when I was during those first two years before I had started drinking, how sad that was, you know, how, how tragic is it that people are so uncomfortable with their own self or 
how they're going to be presented or are willing to present themselves in front of others that they need to essentially numb or turn off that part of their brain that is very anxious and judgy just to be comfortable. I always was very averse to that idea. So that's why I chose to stay sober. And then transitioning into drinking, it, that opinion or perspective really didn't change. But I did notice, you know, after a couple of years of drinking, at least on a weekly basis, I was never and have never been a dependent, substance dependent person where I was drinking every single day. I've never done five to seven days straight. I, every once in a while, I was good for a, a two to three day weekend bender, but I was never like the peak of the degenerate list, but I'm also not going to say I was the holiest amongst the group. I definitely had my fair share of not so bright moments, some fuzzy memories, some entirely black memories as well. But I digress to return to the point that as I was kind of transitioning towards my senior year, starting to aim towards some of the things that I'm working on and towards now, you know, I was doing, as I've alluded to before, like a lot of introspective work, stuff that I have guys work through that work with me to uncover whether it is your purpose, et cetera, doing a lot of those exercises spending a lot of time in reflection, who am I, what do I want out of life, who am I trying to be, what are the actions necessary to get there. I was also dialing in a lot more on my fitness, and obviously alcohol is directly antagonistic to health. It's literally poison. I'm not going to spend this podcast telling you how bad it is for your physical health. I'm not the most qualified in the world, nor do I think it's rocket science. I think even an alcoholic would agree it's not good for the body. If you're looking for a podcast to kind of give you as explicit on why you shouldn't drink for your physical body, you should check out the Huberman podcast on alcohol. He is very clear on the neurodegenerative effects, and he doesn't even really get into kind of damage to the gut, damage to the metabolism, all those different things. But I don't think it's a big point of argument or even as necessary. I think we can all agree, regardless of where you're sitting there, whether you're drinking multiple times a week, one time a week, one time a month, a couple times a year, whatever your clip of alcohol consumption is currently, you know it's not great when you do it. But I think the more interesting question and stuff to explore is the social effects. Like, why are you drinking? Are you doing it for yourself? Is it habitual on purpose with intention? Or is it habitual unconsciously or because of peer pressure? So moving towards senior year, and all of these things that I was getting ready to step into, building a business, chasing after entrepreneurship, trying to build a business in parallel with a full-time job, all of these things. It was something that pretty easily I was able to start stepping my way out of. I remember senior year specifically, we, you know, we made a championship run at a national title for lacrosse as well. And I didn't ever want to sacrifice my performance on the field Friday, Saturday, or Sunday for Thursday night drinks, Friday night drinks. So I was drinking a lot less senior year. And as I was coming out of the normal consumption pattern, you do start to recognize how unhealthy the social habit of, oh, it's Thursday night. Like we're just going to start rolling into the weekend. This is when we start drinking. And then Friday night, who, where are we going? Pre-game this, party that. It just becomes kind of this loop, right? Where Monday through Thursday, Friday is what you're getting through, whether it's university or your job, and you're just 
trying to get to the weekend where you now allow yourself to have fun, but fun is numbing yourself to the point of kind of forgetting how much you don't like Monday through Friday and then feeling like shit. And then Sunday rolls around and not only are you hungover, but you're anxious about going back to that same existence the following week. And then it's this toxic loop on repeat. And again, university, which is a kind of a different discussion, but university, even in the alcohol consumption loop of drink the weekends to forget the week that you don't like, and then drink the weekends and you're just continuing to spiral down is literally training you for the same thing in the nine to five world for those in the audience that have transitioned out of the university age and are into the nine to five world. You're probably seeing it very common, you know, like people are not very creative, especially when these habits have been ingrained for them for three to four years in university. Now, obviously I can only speak to the American university system, but as I've done even more world traveling over the last few years, whether it was that study abroad program or beyond that, I've met people from all over the world and all different age groups, demographics, that kind of unconscious alcohol consumption is extremely universal. And I think it's because we have a massive problem with people wanting or being willing to spend the time with themselves to get clear on who they are, what they want, and how they can build a life that they want rather than a life that they want to forget on a consistent basis. But I am empathetic to how hypnotic that loop can be. As I was stepping away from drinking alcohol during college and really kind of going down that route, and then I was kind of transitioning into this new new self or maybe a return to the old self, the sober self, from when I was younger, I did see how kind of hard it was or how consistently or contextually framed all of my social life was around alcohol. And I think that honestly, this is the biggest crux. This is the thing that makes it the hardest to stop is you get to the place where you start to realize, okay, it's bad for whether you have fitness goals or I need more time for business or I hate feeling hungover or I never really enjoyed going out that much anyway. And you're starting to realize you want to stop. Okay. The awareness is now there, but it's really, really hard to say no to all your friends or the current opportunities or whatever and not have another option. Because if you say, Hey, I'm not going to have a drink. Yeah, come on, man. We always do this. It's Friday. Like, loosen up a little bit. Just relax. Don't take it so serious. Uh, it's just one drink. You don't have to drink that much. Just come out with us anyway. All, all that different type of feedback. You've heard it. And it's really hard to say no, comma, and I'm just going to be at home alone. Even if it is like you building out your business or your escape route to freedom to break into this new version of yourself, it is really hard to just like lock that door and be alone. Now, there may and very well will be a time where you do go through that lonely period where you haven't found that next group yet. But I think what's really, really hard is figuring out what to do in the meantime while reality catches up and you do start to seek out slash find that new community of people that doesn't drink on a consistent basis. Or if they do, doesn't toxically pressure you to drink with them. And, and I think that that's one of the more interesting types of behaviors that I think deserves to be observed third party. 
don't place any judgment on it. But I do think that if you sit back and analyze why certain people or any people would be so particularly offended by you with your body and your specific consumption habits not being the same as theirs, that should start raising, in my opinion, some red flags as to maybe there's an unhealthy relationship, whether it's with me, me to this person, them to this substance, me to this substance, something in the air is off. Or to draw light to how strange the behavior is, if you were at a Chipotle and you're ahead of me, you're doing your order, you get a steak bowl and I go after you and I get chicken and they turn around and say, well, why aren't you getting steak? And I say something like, well, you know, I want to eat chicken today. Like that's what I'm in the mood for. It's more aligned with maybe my training goals, whatever. Like you give whatever reason, maybe it's just preference. Maybe you do have more reasons to give. And then they're like, well, what do you mean? We always get steak or I'm getting steak. So you should just join in with me or you're not going to make me eat steak alone, right? All of these kinds of things would be just so strange and asinine because it, it's my body. Like I'm going to feed it what I want. Now, obviously, just replace the meal with alcohol, and it's the same thing, except there's way more negative effects physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, to drinking alcohol. And I think that this is where we can say, like, okay, something is off here, whether it is the way that they use the substance, whether it's the substance themselves, whether it's our relationship being founded upon that the only thing we have in common is actually drinking. Maybe either this relationship between us needs to be reevaluated and reevaluated meaning maybe I set a boundary and say like, Hey, this is something I'm going to be stepping into. If you want to consistently see me or hang out with me, like that's just, I'm not going to take the drink. So I'd appreciate it if you didn't offer it in the future or just cutting them off entirely. If that's something that they can't learn or can't internalize or aren't willing to seed with. And you'll be surprised if you decide to make, and maybe you wouldn't maybe surprised is the wrong word. A shocking amount, especially if you've gone through American university or university age in general, how many people in your life or how many of your, the relationships that are in your periphery are founded upon just going out and just drinking. If you were to remove alcohol from your life tomorrow, if you were to list out all the people that are in your friend group, how many of them do you share a real hobby or interest in besides just going out on the weekends? The circle gets small really, really quickly. And it's definitely something I experienced. You know, some of my best friends through university, not bad people at all, still love them and wish them the best. But when I really committed and decided to step into like, hey, I'm not going to drink, like I can't go out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because I have something to build. I have work to do outside of my full-time job that's going to give me the future that I want. You know, at first it's, oh, come on, we used to always, it's the time. And then are you sure you don't want to come out? And then eventually they learn to stop asking and then it just gets really, really quiet. And then in the future, obviously, if you move into different apartments or move on beyond that, like short of intentionally reaching out one way or the other, you kind of just drift apart. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but it's all, all that to say you really do become aware very, very quickly who was there for just a season and who was there for life because some people can transition and transcend that period of life like you both were doing x y and z thing together drinking whatever 
you move on, but maybe they're also growing out of that into their self-development arc, or maybe they're stepping into parenthood and it's just no longer aligned with their goals. It's not to place judgment really on any of those things, but you do have to do what is best for you. And what is best for you, you know internally. And that even goes into the alcohol thing, right? Like if you're numbing yourself on a consistent basis, you don't have the space, time, and clarity to know what quote unquote is best for you and your heart is calling towards. Are you using alcohol as a cope? My personal opinion on drinking in general is that no one, well, it's it's hard to deal in absolutes, but almost no one, if I'm going to give myself an out, drinks because intrinsically that activity is fun. I think that it is the context that I've already talked about a lot. It gives you access to social gatherings. It makes your insecurities lessened and dampened. It numbs some sort of other thing that you're not addressing, whether it's a toxic relationship, a job you hate, insecurities about your health, trauma from your past. I mean, the list could be really, really long on what you're using alcohol to cope with. But I just think when you look at the effects on the body, how you feel after doing it, like no one looks back on a weekend of just binge drinking and then while sitting there hungover was like, I 100% am glad that I did that. Now, you may have made some fun memories in the in the process of it, but like that is a almost accidental byproduct to spending time with people you love and doing something exciting. And if your life is extremely mundane, then maybe going down to the corner bar that you already go to is the only way that your soul is being somewhat filled with experience because you spend the rest of your week in a blue lit cubicle doing something you hate for someone you hate and... All the while, you're underutilizing your potential, which you know and you're accountable to in your soul, but you choose to numb out with entertainment and then on the weekends, alcohol. I'm speaking very directly because I think that there are some percentage of people listening to this that need to be called out to snap out of that loop. Like if any amount of this is triggering you, good. It is good that you are having an emotional reaction to my objective statements I can encourage you to take a pause, step away and say, okay, why am I getting emotional at something he's saying about either his story or his perspective on alcohol? The only way that it's emotionally triggering in you is because somewhere deep inside that you believe there is truth to it or that you need to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. I did ask earlier this week on my story about questions you may have around alcohol, my opinions about it. I've given a decent amount of context into my story kind of loosely alluded to specific parts of my story, but I do want to address some of these questions because they are really, really good. And I do think that they are stuff that people deal with at length. And a few of them will provide useful tools for you if you're in a period where you're evaluating your relationship with alcohol. Sir Bishy on Instagram asked, what has freed you from always having to lean on something? And that's a great question. And I know at the beginning of this, I talked about a reason that I didn't drink in the past was not wanting to use alcohol as a crutch and then starting to drink. And I, I suppose I didn't close the loop extremely well, but as I was coming out of drinking consistently, another thing that I noticed not only about kind of the social environment was that I had actually started to use it as a bit of a crutch or something to lean on specifically confidence around approaching girls. I've never been particularly unconfident approaching girls. I could always talk the part, I suppose, 
And as I continue to develop myself and work on specifically like my body, that adds additional confidence. You know, I think I look all right, but there's still obviously approach anxiety or even just kind of shooting the shit or the ability to kind of talk confidently in a social setting to pretty girls that you're approaching. And that was kind of the last bastion or thing that I was holding on to drinking for in general was, okay, I won't do it very regularly, but if I am going to go out, I do want to have the confidence to approach girls that I like. But especially over the last six months, I've been able to prove through experience to myself that just walking up to a girl, talking to her confidently by myself with no alcohol present, I can still present myself well and attract the girls that are also attracted to me. Won't go into any details further on that. That could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But all that to say, it became a social lubricant or quote unquote liquid courage for me for a while. So I know that someone who maybe has never accessed that without alcohol, that could be a huge reason, especially for young men to want to continue to drink because, you know, it lowers your, it makes you have way more swagger and confidence. Also likely it lowers their inhibition to potentially go home with you that night. So if your only way to get sexual access is through a drunken counter, that's first of all sad, but I am empathetic towards it and I can see how that would be a reason to want to hold on to consistent drinking. The tough part is let's play out that scenario, right? Like you do get to go home with the girl. At some point you will have done that so many times that you'll realize that transient relationships and quick hookups are not that fulfilling. Okay, cool. Now I'm looking for a relationship. Well, if the only way I can talk to a girl in the first place and attract her is when I'm drunk and she's drunk, what happens when you both sober up and then the actual dating life starts? And if you want to have an extended period of a relationship, you're not going to be drunk 24 hours a day for the rest of your life. So if you can only tolerate being around each other or being around yourself when you're intoxicated, it's going to be a pretty miserable life and arguably an extremely toxic relationship to each other. So it's worth getting to the place where you can have that intrinsic confidence. Now to address your question directly, what freed me? I don't know that I was ever particularly shackled, but I honestly treated it as like a cost benefit analysis. I think it's worth doing like, does this serve me and or enhance this experience or the direction I want to go? Yes or no. If it's no, then why am I going to continue to do it? You could even also think and project out to whether it's your future self or your highest self, like the version of you, you want to become. What does that person do every day? Do they drink every single weekend? Do they drink every single day? Are they dependent upon alcohol to talk to girls? Are they dependent upon alcohol to be confident in a social setting, to do small talk, to network at a professional event? It is unlikely that the highest version of yourself does those things. That's for you to decide and you to analyze. But for me and my highest self, the future version of me that's giving me advice, that guy doesn't. So I don't drink. So that is something, those are some helpful reframes or mental models that could be helpful for stepping away from consistent alcohol use. But that's not very tactical. And Talon asked a good related question, which is how to deal with the social pressure of drinking. So I'm going to offer some like practical advice, especially from being in fraternity life and being sober. You learn a lot of, for lack of a better phrase, tricks of the trade to be sober in social settings. 
So a lot of times it is just an optics thing, meaning like you need to just look the part at the party. So if you aren't going to drink, but you don't want to have to tell every next person that you bump into at the party, whether it's a girl or a guy, why you're sober or why you're not drinking, simply having something in your hand, a drink in your hand will deter most of it unless they're particularly curious and they're like, what are you drinking? Most people, if they see you with a red solo cup or say a glass out at a bar, if you just get a glass with sparkling water and a lime, you're going to be passable for 90 plus percent of the people that are there. And it gives you a little bit more confidence to just have the thing in your hand, you know, take sips here and there and just meander through. So that's one kind of tactical piece of advice. If you're still in those kind of settings where people are going to judge you, just have a drink in your hand. Another one for myself is always have a close timeline excuse because I'm already, you know, 30 minutes into this podcast explaining my philosophy on alcohol and you likely have this kind of nuanced perspective. Well, no, because it doesn't serve my highest self and it doesn't align with my goals and tomorrow I'm going to train at X, Y, and Z time, blah, 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 blah. Like you don't want to have to explain to a drunk person at a party all of the reasons that alcohol doesn't serve you and you don't want to be doing it, especially if they're just going to throw back drunk garbage to you and say like, come on, just one sip, blah, blah, blah. So having a direct reason why you're not drinking that day, and it could be fabricated or it could be real. I think it's helpful if you're a very busy and driven person, you likely have something to wake up for tomorrow. In university, there's always the easy out. Like I got an early class tomorrow. I've got an 8am or I've got a test tomorrow, or, you know, I was a student athlete. So I could say, you know, I've got 5am practice tomorrow, or we've got a game this weekend. Those are all pretty good reasons. And if you have that quickly loaded, it'll deter or kind of shut down most conversations. Additionally, being able to think on your toes and playfully banter with people on why you may or may not be drinking is going to also help with just general self-confidence and even your quote-unquote game when talking to girls because a lot of it is kind of like a shit test, if you will, or you just need to redirect their energy and curiosity away. This comes from like social observation, you know, spending years like in these extremely drunk settings, but also being sober, you get to watch like the psychology play out and drunk people behave kind of like cats. Like you just have to just loosely direct them and herd them. They're not particularly interested in your world. Again, they're not a lot of their brain and your brain while you're drinking is turned off to like the finer details, the nuance of the situation. You're just kind of floating and vibing and that means that you don't have to debate or philosophize with someone on the benefits or harm of drinking in the moment. You just have to make it an enjoyable experience for both of you guys. So if someone's like, oh, you can't play this drinking game. If you're not drinking, that wouldn't be fair. You'd be like, oh, are you worried I'm going to smoke you, bro? You just have to kind of bring a lightness to the energy because again, as we've talked about before, kind of my working thesis, I do think a lot of people are drinking to hide something or to deal with something, meaning that some part of them is miserable. The old phrase, misery loves company. On a some unconscious level, again, I think it is unconscious predominantly, like they're not malicious, they don't want bad for you, but they're hurting somewhere inside and their misery wants company. They want other people around them doing the same thing on that same kind of vibrational wavelength. 
And so it can, people don't like to look at the person who's sober while they're hammered. Because even if you're not judging them, you're just sitting there, a lot of people feel judged. And as I talked about at the very beginning of this, the judgment thing, feeling judged, is only up to your capacity that you're judging yourself. So if you're really, really insecure or you're worried about someone judging you, it's because you're judging yourself inside. Same thing if someone's like, oh, you think you're better than us? It's because they're dealing with something. So again, being able to playfully redirect, always position yourself as the good guy or just the playful guy. Another one that just came to mind because it's been a bit of time since I've been in this setting is you could always be the hero and just be the designated driver for the evening. Nobody wants to do it if they're in the drinking circles and they want to be going out. And if you become the free ride, the free Uber for the evening for the team, that's a huge one. You can get the food at the end of the night for the group. You can make sure your friends are safe going to and from different locations. So it actually serves like both utility to the group and it also gives you an out for not wanting to drink. But again, a lot of the stuff I've just described should be a Band-Aid, not a permanent solution to the overarching problem, which is your social environment is curated in a way that is surrounding alcohol. But these tactics are important if you can't snap your fingers and change that, right? Like you can't get a new friend group overnight. You can't just leave your university necessarily. You can't transition jobs and no longer have that same friend group that you've built up at your current workplace. So in the, I guess, transition period while you're working on becoming the person that you're meant to be and then having your external environment begin to reflect that, these are helpful tricks and tools. A final one is maybe more of a tactical strategy, but try to curate not finding yourself in settings where there is a social pressure to drink. So maybe putting yourself into a fraternity in an American university is a statistically unwise decision as far as percentage of opportunities you're going to be asked to or pressured to drink. Same with going to a bar on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night, or having all of your friend group be just the people that you happen to bump into in your local area or through your workplace. Like you need to make sure that you're curating your social environment around shared values that likely don't align with drinking generally. A great one would be the gym. People who are consistently working on their bodies and their fitness likely aren't, not always, but likely aren't consistently drinking on the weekends. So curating your social friend group around some sort of community fitness class or weekend run club or sports league, those people might allow you to have a group of people that aren't focused on X, Y, and Z. So the meta tactic or the last takeaway is just don't put yourself around those people, which easier said than done, but that would be my encouragement because eventually you will get to the place where you have been the person long enough that your environment around you has just naturally attracted and curated the like-minded individuals that you've always been seeking out. And if you can be strong enough to be the one that stays firm to their beliefs, regardless of the social pressures, you have to say no once, you have to say no twice, you have to say no 10 times, you have to say no 100 times. At some point it does sink in. And I really do believe that even if they won't 
like you or understand you, they will respect you. And I think as a man, respect is one of the deeper intrinsic things that we're seeking from our social settings, our peers, the women in our lives, etc. And of course, self-respect is the most important thing. So if you tell yourself you're not going to drink and then you go out with friends and then one drink turns into two and then uh, I, I, did, I wasn't going to drink this weekend, but it just kind of happened. That's a lie to yourself or that's falling short of the bar you set for yourself. And if you do that on a consistent basis, you won't respect yourself just like other people wouldn't respect you if you said X and then did Y. So hold strong to your stance. And if you can be that guy, not only will they respect you, but you become a beacon and you give people a permission or an out to maybe join you also. Because as we've talked about, and as I, my opinion has been stated, I don't think a bunch of people really like to repeat these kind of patterns and habits. They just don't see a way out. And maybe they aren't brave enough to be the first or strong enough to be the first. But, it, oh, you're not drinking. Well, yeah, I, I won't drink either. Maybe we should just go. I'll, I'll go home with you after dinner and not go back to drinks. Like, I'm only saying all of this because I've seen it in my own life. And a lot of people are trapped in the bottom of that barrel. And it's like the crabs in the bucket, right? You try to crawl out of the bucket and the other crabs pull you back down until somebody gets to the out top of the bucket or reaches into the lid and tries to pull some people out. People won't believe that it's possible. Talon also asked, at what point is drinking having fun versus cope? And my thesis has been made clear on this episode, but to repeat, like, I do think it's predominantly cope. Because truly having fun, like what is fun? What is play? It's something that you are accessing that sort of childlike state. like, And drinking itself, like the activity isn't fun. People who are alcoholics and are dependent on the substance itself are miserable. They're miserable and we can tell for sure. Now for the quote unquote functioning alcoholics, which are many of society... Their life is good enough that we're not going to place a bunch of judgment and we can't necessarily tell that they're miserable, but it comes out in different types of ways. Lack of conviction, kind of directionless aim with life, the need to return to the substance on a consistent basis. You, the person listening, need to do your internal calculus on whether alcohol is serving you or not. For some people, you really can drink on some sort of consistent basis balance it into your life and have fun with it. If it means not letting go to people that you want to keep in your life and the only way that you have a relationship with them is drinking, I personally don't think that's much of a relationship, but to each their own. And you your internal calculus and decision-making around alcohol is yours. It is one of one. I speak with a lot of conviction for the things that I believe, my life, and what I believe is true about other people, but it doesn't make it true, nor does it matter for your life more than you can make it real. I just think that with something that has so much control and also definitively has so many negative side effects, it is worth looking starkly in the mirror and saying, do I gain energy from this or do I lose energy from this? Reflecting after you use it potentially. And this works with relationships too. Like when I'm around X person and I finish being with them, do I feel drained or do I feel energized? When I go out on Friday night, how do I feel on Saturday and Sunday? Do I feel drained? Do I feel energized? 
is the trade-off of the quote-unquote fun experience worth the feeling that I get afterwards? Am I willing to pour my energy into this type of event for the memory or to facilitate the experience? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but you need to get to the place where you answer it for yourself. And I have just finally fully honestly gotten to the place where I kept it real with myself because for for that for the last probably year I was in the camp where I said I won't drink except for very rarely when I think it will elevate the experience but I just did the math and like sat down with myself I was like what experience do I genuinely for me think it would elevate or increase the quality of and the answer is none, Gen- genuinely none. I-, I came up with all these theoreticals in my head. I was like, what if Joe Rogan invites you to his studio and you know he's passing whiskey around with the, the fellas? Like, are you really going to turn down whiskey with, with Joe Rogan? Or are you going to turn down the chance to drink a margarita with the girl of your dreams on the beach? And the truth is yes, because it would not only be a disservice to myself, but it would be a disservice to these theoretical people as well to be anything less than my most authentic self. And if I was behaving in a different way for them than I would alone, then there's your answer. I think that you have to be as much of yourself as you humanly can be. And in that, that is the greatest act of selflessness you can give. I think that we're here to give a gift to the world. You are that gift. And if you're a pale copy of somebody else or you're shifting your behavior in a different setting to appease other people or to fit in or to do something that maybe is just more socially acceptable or whatever. I think you're doing yourself a disservice and by doing yourself a disservice, you're doing a disservice to everyone there because you're cheating them of the highest version of you, the most authentic version of you that only you can give. So that's why for me, when I critically, critically analyzed, and it wasn't until a couple of months ago where I ran the theoretical and I finally was like, you know what? I just won't drink. It doesn't make sense for me. I'm going to fully own it. I'm going to be honest in it. And the confidence that comes from holding and believing in that and then sticking to it from there is extremely compounding into other buckets of life. Cody asked, do you think that not drinking has anything to do with more or quote unquote faster success? The short answer before I go into it is definitely yes. Now, as he knows, and I've talked about before, words are extremely important. So getting clear on what you define as success is important. So you know what you're aiming at as your version of success. That's its own podcast in and to itself. But say you know what your version of success looks like monetarily, relationships, perfect day, how do you feel, what is your body, all of these different things. How many of those scenarios, regardless of what your goal is, is going to be more or quicker to achieve with drinking consistently? There might be some verticals that you could argue like, hey, I want to be a club promoter or I want to break into the bartending scene or what have you. So I think you could probably find really niche answers where drinking might help you get there. But the act of getting absolutely blasted drunk on any sort of consistent basis, serving those goals, no shot. Like you as a 
business owner, as an artist, as a athlete, as a whatever you are, the version of you that drinks consistently versus the version of you that's completely sober 10 out of 10 times is going to get smoked by the sober version because they don't wake up with brain fog. They don't miss alarms. They don't skip workouts. They don't miss their meal plan. They have all day of clear focus to do the things that they said they were going to do yesterday, which means compoundingly they're making more progress and never getting reset. So it's not that they're just moving faster. They're moving exponentially faster because for every two steps forward and half step back you're taking, they're still just stepping forward. And you know it, whoever you are sitting there, like how elite and dialed in do you feel in the periods of time where you do drink on the weekends and then try to be productive the day after, but then you're hungover, so your willpower is drained. You just want to feel better, so you eat the shitty food. The food makes you feel shitty. You want to stay sitting down on your couch all day. You don't move your body, which also makes you feel shitty. Then you miss your workout, and it's just a toxic loop. Again, the, the crux of the conversation is how do you escape the hypnotic social pressure to do something that you pretty much know, and we probably could have agreed before this podcast started, isn't good for you, you being anyone. How do you break out of that? And I've already laid out a bunch of tips, tricks, and frameworks that can be helpful if you're in an environment, but the North Star, the eventual goal is to just be in an environment where it is no longer presented. And believe me, they exist. You may be in a space where you don't think that they are, or you don't know where they are, but those people exist, the environments exist, you just have to persist in that identity, the person who is that person, for your environment to begin to reflect it. And like I said before, Maybe it is the environment you're already in. You just need to be the lighthouse to give the people the out, to be the first to let other people step into it. I think that's where I'm going to leave this one. I hope that through me sharing my story, it was somewhat helpful. You could see yourself in parts of that story. And I want to say to those that made it this far, first of all, thank you. Second of all, subscribe on YouTube. And third of all, I feel you. I know where you're at. I've been where you're at. And I encourage you to persist in chasing that highest version of yourself because it is your obligation and duty to do so and to give yourself as a gift to the world. And consistent drinking is holding you back. You know it is true. Believe that it is possible to curate an environment of people that don't force you to drink or encourage you to do so or it's the only way that you can hang out. If you need someone to talk to about it, my DMs are wide open. I also have a free Discord community you can join. DM me on any socials and I can invite you to that. Otherwise, excited to be consistently dropping podcasts, moving forward every single Tuesday at 5 a.m. Stay posted on YouTube for additional behind-the-scenes vlogs, building the Vitruvian series, continuing to come out. Really excited about some big future guests coming up and more solo pods as well mixed in. I really enjoy this medium. I love talking to you guys directly. And as long as I feel like I am being of service, I will continue to do so. But that is all for this one. Remember your time and attention are your most valuable resources. So thank you for spending them with myself today. Memento Mori, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Vitruvian Podcast. And if he fails, at least fails while daring greater, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat.